Today on Sagittarian Matters, advice on boundaries, romance, how to tell when you actually know someone, and more with my guest, Jessica Lanyado. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Jessica Lignato is an internationally respected astrologer and psychic medium who has been in a private practice with clients all over the world since 1995. She's a triple Capricorn, and you can find her horoscopes and more at lovelignato.com. Welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Dear Capricorn, esteemed Capricorn. Well, I mean, if I have esteem, it's a Capricorn steam. I believe this is your third time on the show. I, it is. Isn't that exciting? Does it, does it get me a blue ribbon like a prize hog? Yeah, you are a fan favorite. I, whoop, whoop. I oh, mean, if think, you want me think. to call you prize hog, we could. I, I kind of prefer that to fan favorite. I don't know if that's true. Some pig. <laughs> yeah, it's a woo. Yeah, it's squeal. Um, um, what is the moon in right now? Okay. As we record this, the moon is in Pisces. What does that mean for the world? Uh, uh, so whenever the moon's in Pisces, I feel like people get a little more emo, a little more sensey, a little more internal. You need to drink more water. You might get sleepier, just feel a little depleted. And the actions that are kind of like best suited to a moon in Pisces are doing things that you believe in. Ooh. So like the Women's March was today. Yes. That would be a fantastic example of something one believes in that yes. is good. Although it would also be a very draining experience if we're looking at the moon in Pisces. I did take a nap afterwards and I did not want to wake up from the nap. There you go. But I knew I needed to. Yeah. And then you sit upon a couch and you chill. Yeah. Yeah. So moon in Pisces style. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but I had a question for you. The new moon happened recently. We had a new moon in Capricorn. Yep. I used to go to a friend's house and she had a new moon group where everyone would kind of do a collage and write their intentions that she would re- read out of a book and we would get a candle and do a thing. Do you have new moon mm. rituals that you personally do? Um, I feel like I, before I can answer that question, I have to talk about your nails are so cute. Oh Please tell God. everyone about my nails. Your nails are black and they have a perfect gold stripe across the top it's they're gorgeous i'm guessing they're gels they are gels thank you your nails look incredible can you describe your nails also gels uh by sf party nails and sf they're white and they have an artistic rendering of watercolors that are bright and slightly neon upon them and the watercolor kind of goes each blotch goes over the other blotch so it looks like a palette it's really nice it is thank you very much thank you very much i appreciate that so new moons um I am honestly a lunar boner killer. I'm such a Capricorn. And Capricorn is the opposite sign to the moon. So we are known for being crushity and uh, not super emo or not like in touch with the feelings. And so I don't consistently do things for the new moon. New moons are, however, a great time to light a candle and set an intention. And they're a great time to really kind of clarify what you want to call into your life or what you want to rein in in the upcoming lunar cycle, which is 30 days, right? Um, The thing about the moon is its emotions, its feelings. And so it's not super analytic. This isn't the time for getting hyper analytic. People get really like Dear Mm Diary-ish, which is cool, but 
there's a really big difference between Mercury, the mind, and the moon, which is your feels. And a lot of times I feel that people um, seek to kind of like manage or direct their feels, their moon, through Mercury, their mind. And that doesn't really work. It works kind of as a bridge, but it doesn't work as like a car. It won't take you all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the key is to stay emotionally present. So if you can stay emotionally present in a room full of your friends doing new moon manifestations, mazel tov. Mm-hmm. And, you know, personally me, I'm, I can't do that. Yeah. I, I have to be alone to be emotionally present for intention setting. So I personally wouldn't do a group. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. I just, I ever since then, I was like, oh, and I also was kind of like collages, but I was like, this is, uh, I just had never thought about it before. And I was like, what a lovely thing to do yeah. every month to try to be aware of this and set intentions essentially for the month. Yeah, it's for the month. And the thing about collages, like astrologically from my perspective, is like it's kind of, um, Visualization is when we, when we call an imagery, especially non-representational imagery, we're connecting with the subconscious because the subconscious mind uses picture language, right? Instead of analytic, proper, uh, cerebral processing. And so collaging is actually a very good lunar activity because you're if, if you're not too heady about it, because you're connecting with, oh, this feels right. I, for some reason, I'm feeling really drawn to like all pinks in my collage or whatever. And that's because you're working the heart chakra or whatever. So, um, it's a, it's a collaging is, I mean, it's not exactly my personal, I'm not a visual artist person myself, but whoever masterminds that knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm say. Yeah. Uh, the, I will say the purveyor of this was friend to the show, Brandy, who does Magic Hour Astrology. Ooh. And this was at the birth of her candle business. That's awesome. It was pretty awesome. So she knows what she's doing. She knows what she she's knows. Pro. She's pro. What, Not the, pro. what the heck she's doing. Um, okay. I have a question for you. We're, we have you here for a couple of advice questions. You're dipping into LA, you know, to to do some of your work. And so we thought we would grab you. Producer Ponyo wrote me a couple of questions or she harvested a couple of questions. Let me ask you. And one thing that I think you've been talking about online, for some reason, I feel like you've been talking about is intuition. And I personally, I used to have a thing where, you know, and this was, it was, it was always negative, but it was like, I would think I was having intuition about something happening, but actually it was just anxiety. I would be like, I have a feeling that if I leave the dog at home, she's definitely going to die. And then at a certain point I had to be like, that's anxiety. You're not a wizard. Like that's what's going on. And so, you know, sometimes I, I'm like, follow your heart. But then sometimes I'm like, ah, like my brain knows too much. I know too much. I'm a, I'm a manners perfectionist. I have a lot of Capricorn. I love therapy. I read too much. I've had too many experiences and it's all broiling over there. I'm emotional perfectionist. I'm like, I want to do the perfect thing. I want to do the absolute perfect thing. And so then when I'm trying to tap into my intuition, I'm like, how do I balance or how do I know what's what? Okay. So this is actually a really common question because a lot of people confuse anxiety and intuition and Mm -hmm. it's easy to do because anxiety says, I am the secret voice that tells you that the world is going to collapse under your feet. So anxiety is compelling. And here's the fun fact about intuition and I'm calling it a fact anyone could argue that there's no such thing as facts about intuition. Alternative facts. It's it's an alternative to alternative facts about intuition. Riddle that, my friends. So uh, intuition has no emotion. Intuition is not fearful and it's not happy. 
There is no emotion with intuition. Intuition is neutral. Mm. So you may have an emotional response immediately after the, the neutral intuitive flash, but that neutral intu- intuition is the only intuition that exists. So when you get, inf- when you get a sense of like, we're all going to die, the dog's going to fall in a hole that doesn't yet exist or whatever. Yeah. Um, first of all, you want to just really ground into when that thought cropped up in, inside of you, was it, were you seized, instantly seized by fear? Were you feeling really off and freaked out? And then you had this vision of your dog collapsing into a hole that doesn't exist yet in your floor. If the case is yes to either of those things, it's not intuition. It can't be intuition because guidance comes in neutral because our guides, if you believe in that, or Jesus, if you believe in that, or whoever your jam is, um, is neutral about what we what happens to us. Mm. They are not neutral about what we do with what happens to us. But if you kind of have, if you're a faith-based person and you believe that there is a bigger picture, then, you know, think about a tapestry. You pull a thread and you, you could think of that as a ruined tapestry. You can just think of that as like, okay, now there's a pulled thread on the tapestry. Mm-hmm. It's just a different tapestry now. And I think that our guides or God or whatever they're more focused on our tapestry and less on each individual panic attack we have. Mm. It's how we respond to the pattern of our panic attacks. It's how we respond to um, the different kind of voices inside of us instead of each individual time. You know, we can, we like to make everything big, but not everything. um, It's I'll reframe and just say, it's important to stay connected to the bigger picture you know, for me, when my, because I'm also very Capricorn, when my habits and my patterns are interrupted is when I'm more likely to have bad sleep. And my bad sleep is really an anxious place. And so I'm like obsessively thinking about all the things I have to do. And they seem really real to me. But, you know, I always can choose to remind myself, oh, these are not things that I'm going to fix as I'm falling asleep. These are things that I will remember in the morning. And I have to be really grounded to like remember to tell myself that and then to like force myself to listen because my anxiety says, oh, I have to, I have to, I have to, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what anxiety does. It tries to compel you to kind of be, as my grandmother would call it, a chicken with its head cut off. Mm -hmm. You know how they keep running? Yeah. It's sad. It is sad. It's I bet they're so cute when their heads are still on. I know. I know. I took it. I took it somewhere weird, but you understand what I'm yeah, saying. Okay, I know what you're thank, you, thank you. Keep a head on. Yeah, yeah. Keep a head on. Yeah. And then, do you have um, any things that you do to like speak to your intuition or your guides mm-hmm. to kind of tap into them? We talked a little bit before about you setting intentions by being alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky because I mean, I, um, I'm. I'm psychic medium, you know, I mean, I do that stuff and I'm, and I'm self-taught and it just kind of like unpacked itself in my life really organically. And there was, because I'm an astrologer and I was an astrologer before the psychic stuff came up for me, there was this really organic structured place in my life where I could test and refine my intuition. And I'm, that's very unusual. Um, Hogwarts. Yeah, it was a personal Hogwarts of one. There was an animal, but um, it was a Hogwarts of one, which honestly is a lot less magical than actual Hogwarts. Really? I think if it was like Hermione Granger just in a room. With the hair? With the hair. hair. I wish I had her accent, honestly. Mm. That hoshi, whatever. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, I really appreciate that. I do think that Hogwarts is slightly more romantic than uh, Lanyetta Wurtz, mm-hmm. but whatevs, you know, mm-hmm. whatevs. Um, so that said, um, what I what I personally find to be the most effective thing for staying connected to my intuition is first breathing. It's very important to breathe because when your brain is not oxygenated, when your body is not oxygenated, when you're not breathing and taking care of the most fundamental basic stuff, then your guidance can't get in. Eat. Eat the amount of meals a day that you need to maintain your blood sugar and the healthy functionings of the body. Stay grounded. Stay centered. Stay here and now. Because the reason why when I'm doing psychic work with clients... I can do the work really effectively is because I can tell the difference between my thoughts and someone else's thoughts, my feelings and someone else's feelings. And the only reason why I can is because I'm super associated. I'm here and I'm here without judgment and I'm here without attachment. I don't care if I'm talking to somebody who is cheating on their husband and their boyfriend, both. Yes, this is based on a true story. I have no judgment towards it during session. Now, afterwards, I might be like, oh, my God. But in it, when I'm present with somebody, I, I don't have an attachment to what they do. I don't have attachment to whether or not they take my advice. And I don't have judgments or attachments to their behavior or their lack of behavior. And because of that, I can really hear my guidance clear as day. And it's not in the voice of Morgan Freeman. It's not in like a different voice. It's subtle, but it's really clear to me. Now in my own personal life, it's not that easy because I am attached to the outcome. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to fail. And so those attachments to how things should be Mm -hmm. interrupt my ability to be truly present and to receive the guidance that I actually desperately want when I'm scared. Mm -hmm. And it's just a human thing. I mean, you know, you're not supposed to be the Dalai Lama. You're supposed to be like a nerd in the world, right? And yeah. so some of it is also just recognizing like failing is part of succeeding. I mean, stumbling is part of maintaining balance and not getting hung up on the stumbling, staying connected to the bigger picture, that tapestry of I want to keep on trying to regain balance and, and experience different kinds of balance. And right now I'm out of balance. That's where I am. All right. What else? That's, uh, I don't know if it was too long of an answer, but there it is. That was a good answer. Okay, good. You're welcome. Thank you. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Do we have another advice question? And you, do you want me to read it? Okay, you, you read it because you've got a good um, orator voice. I'm going to orate. Or. I will say, okay, so I, while this is coming up, I went to the Women's March today. I wasn't going to go, I think. I, I was like, oh, what good will it do? <laughs> he's just going to do what he's going to do anyway, isn't he? And I just had this moment, but then I was like, oh, you're feeling discouraged. That's exactly what they want you yeah, to think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, watch this. You just you told Stormy Daniels you were afraid of sharks. Well, I'm dressing like a shark. And I'm going to hold a sign that says sharks hate Trump because we're coming for you. There's blood in the water. You are chum. You smell like chum, sir. That is amazing. And we are coming That's for you. I wore that outfit. That outfit was amazing. Thank I you. was like... Did you read that? No. Let me tell you. Okay. And listeners. So the president had intercourse with a woman who is a porn star whose name in films is Stormy Daniels. And one of their sessions of hanging out together, he made her watch 
Shark Week for like three hours, and he could not stop talking about sharks. He was obsessed with talking about them. And then people have been tweet. He's people have been retweeting old tweets. He tweets about them. He's like, I give money to a lot of organizations, but I'll never give money to anything that supports sharks. I hope they all die, but they won't. They'll be here long after we will. What? And he just was like spinning out, tripping about how afraid he is of sharks. We should all wear shark outfits. Where did you find a shark outfit? I just already had it. I was like, oh, tremendous. I was like, I already have this in my closet. <laughs> I was like, this enemy to Trump. Yeah. I was, I've been ready. I've been waiting for this for a long time. Yeah, you have. All right. Yeah, you have. Anyway, so that, so then I marched in the thing and I was glad I marched in the thing and I had some moments and, um, and that was it. But I was like, oh, I feel discouraged because I'm overwhelmed because of how many bad things that have happened. But that's kind of. Part of, the deal part of the deal of people making a lot of bad things happen is they think that you'll just get overwhelmed and they'll eventually, just like we were talking earlier off mic about straight sex coercion, about people pushing, pushing, pushing until you you know concede. I just feel like that's kind of – so I was like, no way. I'm going out there. I was like, yes. I, was like I don't even fucking want to go to this. I want to go do these other things. I want to go to brunch. I want to sleep in. And I was like, I'm going to the march. And I went to the march and it was great. There's like a quadrillion people there and – um, what was the best thing that somebody said? Viola Davis said, she essentially said, you know, nothing ever changed. Ah, she was like, if you don't risk, if you don't risk something, nothing's ever going to change. Um, it was something like that. I tweeted it. And, and it's very, I mean, it's, it's true, of course, about political action and social action, but it's also true about managing anxiety. And it's true about, you know, telling a lover that you don't like a thing they're doing or whatever the hell it is. It's professional advancement. I mean, safety when it's based on unjust or unhealthy conditions is a terrible fucking thing. Mm. Can I say the F word? Go ahead. Albert and Dad. Okay. It is a terrible fucking thing. And I think that that's, you know, a huge part of what we are as a society dealing with is like, do we want safety based on this bullshit administration and all the things they're doing? No, we do not. We need revolution because their version of safety, their version of security is at everyone else's expense and i think um i think it's really beautiful to see how people are are participating i mean i don't know i i think you and certainly i have been like protesting since i was a kid yeah. it's not new but i i'm seeing you know so many people are finding new ways of participating it's really it it is the one of the very few inspiring things coming out of this period the politic the politicization of people who were really apolitical until trump yeah it's beautiful it is beautiful. It is. It is. Not to be a Seinfeld, but have you ever noticed that I never try to sell you Blue Apron on the podcast? Or that we do not disparage and bemoan trips to the post office in favor of stamps.com? Well, it is because we have no advertisers. Zero. Producer Chris, producer Ponyo, and myself do this out of the goodness of our hearts because we like it. If you would like to tip producer Chris Sutton, who dedicates hours to this series every week, please, 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 please send your tip of $5, $10, who knows how much. That's your business via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That is hornet, like the insect, leg, like one of his appendages, at gmail.com. If you do this, we will read your name on the podcast. Isn't that exciting? We may have advertisers someday, and we'll rant and rave about free sex toys and mattresses and Blue Apron and whatever, but in the meantime, thank you. We appreciate your support, and I look forward 
to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. That was Ponyo's voice. Don't be scared. Bye. Thank you this week to Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Brett Schmidt, Mary Pinson, and Christy Herod. Thank you. Okay. Okay. What is our question? Okay, let's talk about let's, questions. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, hold, hold, please. Let's do a thing. Okay. So, wait. You want you, me to read it? You, are you going to read it? I yeah, would yeah. Love it if you'd read it. Okay. I'll read it. Okay. All right. Just, just you, uh, just listen in here. All right. Dear Sagittarian Matters, with special guest Capricorn, Jessica Lignato. <laughs> I am a 28-year-old queer woman experiencing a troubling pattern in my dating life. It seems that every single time I meet someone who I really deeply like and feel mutually cared for, they happen to be moving far away a month or two after we meet. The plans had always been made before we met. They say like attracts like, but I lived in the same city for the last 10 years and have only lived one other place before moving here. I'm a monogamous person and want a long-term relationship with just one person, damn it. How do I break this curse? Sincerely, Hex the Midwest. P.S. Pattern goes like this. One, wow, cute person. Two, mutual liking. Make plans to hang out. Three, after one or two meetups, I learn that they are planning to move to a whole new city in a month. Four, repeat pattern over eight years. Okay, wait. I have have to revisit one little thing here. Okay. So every single time I meet someone who I deeply like and feel mutually cared for. So this person, I just want to point out. And hey, girl. Uh, to you um, is referring to going on a couple of dates with someone and deeply liking them and caring for them but after a couple of dates really even if you're having amazing sex on the first date you really don't know a bitch so it's interesting to me that you're claiming that you're having really deep and true feelings for someone after a couple of dates who happens to be leaving it makes me think would you really be having these feelings if they didn't tell you they were leaving after the second or third date mm. question for your question are you in your own pattern yeah i you know somebody even just was I, I every time I go into a public event, people come up and talk about the podcast to me. And somebody was just telling me how much they loved the episode where you talked about all the things that need to happen for you to know someone. Yeah. Oh, good. Can I'm so you, glad they like that. Can we revisit that? Yes, yes, please. Okay, so it's the you don't know a bitch uh, list. Yes. And basically, okay, so in my perspective, you don't know a bitch unless you fought and it was your fault. You don't know a bitch unless you fought and it was their fault. You don't know a bitch regardless of your religion until you shared a Christmas. You don't know a bitch until you were sick. You don't know a bitch until they were sick. And... You don't know a bitch. Sometimes people say if you travel. I think it was you who said it was if you travel. I don't know if I completely count that one, but I've added it in. Thank you. So you're welcome. Thank you. And so you could went on three dates with some lady. No, you don't know a bitch. You don't care for her deeply yet. You care deeply for the potential that you're perceiving. The potential you're yeah. perceiving. Yeah. Not the same thing. Mm-hmm. You can care deeply for someone that you know. Right? But like, there's, so, okay. So my astrologer's brain, I have to say, I'm guessing that you in the Midwest have a hard aspect in your birth chart between Uranus and Venus. That's my damn guess. And the thing about that, and that means uh, conjunction, opposition, or square. And the thing about that is if you in fact do, 
you are projecting out your need for space. And so then my advice would be to not be a U-Haul lesbian. Not that there's anything wrong with it, because there's not. But there is for you. If you keep on attracting people who are leaving the state or the city, then you clearly need somebody who is in a state of motion and in a state of change and in a dynamic state of independence. Mm. And so maybe you just need to be doing those things. If you've been living in the same place for eight years, maybe you need to move or at least move your bed to another place in the room or something. That's my advice. What about you? I don't, this one was really puzzling to me because I was like, what, what bad fortune upon this person? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I had a summer where I was that person where I was moving and I was trying at the end of the summer but I was like single for the first time in a billion years. And so I was like really making a go of it and trying to like absorb gay experiences because I was moving somewhere where there were no gay people. And people I would meet, we would have like a great couple dates. And then I would have to be like, so I'm going away for nine months. And they'd be like, ah. And I was like, it's okay. It's okay. I'm not getting put to sleep. Right. Why you got to trip? Right. Don't trip. Planes exist. Come on. It's 20, 2013. I, whatever year it was. And but people were like repelled. And they would try to make space for me. And I was like, I'm not dying. Everyone come back. <laughs> now, I mean, I understand now. But I I mean, the, but those were people that were not wanting someone in a state of motion. Right. And that's what was happening Although, for me. arguably, maybe they were super attracted to you and into you because you were in this fertile state of just having gotten out of a relationship. And it was like quadrupled by you knew that you were doing something progressive in your life, whether it was scary or fantastic or not, Mm -hmm. you were making a meaningful change and you didn't know what was going to come next. And that it's like, it's like, you know how when you're traveling, you meet more people and you connect with more people than you do when you're in your hometown. That's not because of anything other than you, right? It's because you're open. And I think that, you know, if you were in the state, you were probably more open. And that's probably part of why people liked you mm-hmm. without clocking that in themselves. And so I would suggest to the questioner that uh, you really look at what it is that you're attracted to. Because people who are in the throes of moving have a really particular energy. They are not normal them. They are OMGM leaving soon them, which is a very different version of them. Yeah. And so I wouldn't say it's just luck. I would say it's unconscious choice. Whoa. Yeah. What's unconscious choice? That's just that's just that. I mean, it's just I, do, I just don't even know what to tell this person because if they live in this small town in the Midwest, yeah. I'm assuming it's small town. They live in the Midwest. Maybe they live in Chicago. Who knows? Huge bustling city. <laughs> but they live in the Midwest and they're queer, I assume. And I think they said. They said, yeah. And I just, I'm like, the pickings are the good. Yeah. The odd, the goods are odd. The, you know, the, the goods <laughs> are odd. And I'm just from having lived in the Midwest and come out, and, or uh, not come out in the Midwest because there was not nowhere to run to if I came out. I just waited till I was somewhere where there were gay people I could see, so I could run over there. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell them. I don't know what to tell them except for like, I'm sorry this is happening to you. Can you please ask friends to refer you? Just say like, set me up. I'll sign a, I'll sign an agreement that says that I won't blame you if things go awry. Um, I won't hold you responsible for any damages. But just like tell your friends to set you up so that you're not getting, you're not, because it seems like on your own, you're just meeting these people and you need to do, your picker's broken in some way. Yeah. Is there a way that you can intervene on your own picker? Yeah. Or just write one of those herstory personal ads. Write a herstory personal ad. That's a great idea. I mean, I wish they had said what city they were in. Because honestly, 
I don't know. I mean, like, we're, you know, we live in very queer places, and I wouldn't, I, I would still say it feels like slim pickings. I think that for people who are straight, living in straight cities, they feel like they're slim pickings. I mean, that always feels like, there's always slim pickings when you're single, is how it feels. That said, I, I also would say to this person, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I I do I do think it's important to look at what it is that you really like about these people and also notice how quickly you're willing to call it deep carrying in a pattern because that's it's questionable to me it's a little suspicious to me right and I think you know for those of us who are more about the head we need to cultivate more emotional presence and for those of us who are like driven by feelings we need to cultivate data and use data Right. And so it's not like one is right or wrong, but I would say that this person is making us making declarations of data based on feelings that actually haven't been vetted yet. Yeah. So that's, that's our, that's our slightly messy advice. I think that's our messy advice. Go on Tinder, consider moving, go on some trips. Go on trips. Can you just go visit someone that I don't even I just don't know what to tell this person. I'm sorry this is happening to you. It's your Saturn return. Is it? How that, old are they? Twenty eight. Did they say they were twenty eight? Yes. Je check, which means in French, I check. Uh yeah, twenty eight. Yeah. I mean you're prepping your Saturn return. Break the pattern. I I broke some big patterns when I was twenty eight. Mm-hmm. I stopped dating the craziest person in the room when I was around 28. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Did you then become the craziest person in the room? No. Oh, good. I wish. But no, no, no. It's not a good goal. You you did good. You did good. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, 28's a big deal. 29's a big deal. I mean, life is such a big deal. Although Saturn Return is singularly a big deal. But yeah, I mean, this person needs change. Yeah. But the change always needs to come from the inside. It really does. Yeah. So start start in internally. And if you're listening to this and you're like defensively feeling like, yeah, there's no way that I could know. And these are really, truly deep feelings. And it's really just this thing that's happening to me. Then I would say more emphatically, look inside of yourself because uh, this may or may not be right. But check in with your defenses because there's a lot of story going on here. And unpacking the story will help you to rearrange that luggage and make sure you want to be carrying it. Whoa, what a good metaphor. That is a good metaphor. <laughs> I just was very impressed with myself. I Go ahead. They Go ahead, Capricorn. Go I ahead. It. I did it. It's all done. I unpacked the metaphor. You unpacked the metaphor. Good luck to you, person in the Midwest. Yeah. I feel you. I've been there. And good luck. Good luck. Keep in touch with these people. Jessica Nadu, last words. For my listeners, for anything. Um, do we have any words about consent? Yeah. The word of the day? Such consent? A big, such a big word. I am a really aggressive, obnoxious. Ah, I am obnoxious. Okay. I am an aggressive and direct person. And my no's are very loud. Like, my no's are very aggressive and very loud. And I am so grateful for being queer. Because I don't know how living as a straight woman would have changed that for me um, because it is hard and it does turn guys off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would be unrealistic to say that that's not true. Um, but I will say that I work with 
many, many people, a lot of straight women. And I have over the last 20 years heard countless times from straight women about sexual encounters that they've had with their partners, not just with random guys, but with their partners that they actively dislike and they never let their partners clearly know. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think, you know, girls are kind of weaned on this idea that your lover is supposed to just get you and know what you want and that it's unsexy to say what you want or it's unromantic to be directive. Um, but I do think that um, there are so many things we don't have agency around. And the one thing we, we do have agency around is the volume and clarity of our preferences. And that is one thing that we can take with us. Um, and people won't always like it. It won't always go well. I mean, that's not the promise. But I think having really clear, unequivocal, I don't want this no, um, and then physically removing yourself from a situation when possible is a really good kind of goal because not only is that good for self-preservation, but I think it's also good for the people that you're hooking up with because I think of all the women that I've talked to and I, I mean, so many women who actively do things with their partners that they don't like, or they feel violated by, or they just think are gross. And, you know, I don't have a lot of compassion or pity for men. I'm not, I'm not that worried about them. And also if I, if I, you know, really think about it on a spiritual context, it sucks for them too. Maybe it's awesome for them. I don't know. To me, that seems like it sucks. Like to be having an experience with someone that you think is awesome and they're grossed out by it, or they're just like, ah, oh, God, when's this thing over? That's not what a person wants. It's not good for your soul, you know? So do it for yourself. Do it for yourself first and foremost. Do it for all the other women that may or may not have to fuck this person later. And also, if you actually like the guy, don't do it for him too. Teach a man what is gross. <laughs> Teach a man to fish. Teach a man what is gross. Yes. Teach, <laughs> Teach a man what yeah. he saw on TV that does not translate mm. to the bedroom as yeah, romance. Man. Some things are cinematic and they are not meant for real life. Yes. Yeah. You know, we had a friend of the show, Lorelai Lee, come on a couple of years ago. And I don't know, I was asking her something about like what I don't, I don't, I was asking, essentially her answer to a question that I can't remember was like, very little of what happens in pornography is actually like sexy in real life actually sexy i yeah. mean that is anyone who's watched porn or thought yeah. about shooting themselves knows the things that feel best are happening inside of your body and yeah. it's hard to film that yes <laughs> but so then when there's young guys that have come up just watching porn they're like i think she's gonna love slash hate slash love this yes let mm -hmm. me try it out on this human who's here and then the human is like whoa whoa whoa, whoa. what's <laughs> happening yeah yeah i mean it's it is I think it's really there's a there's it, there's a lot of reasons why people aren't clear about what they want. But if we're being honest, it's not just happening in sex and sexual encounters, you know? How often during each individual day do you smile on someone's face when they're bugging the shit out of you? You know, and and is that diplomacy? Is that social grace or is that dishonesty? Is that hiding from the truth? You know, and I think that it's not a hard line. And I don't think it's a universal truth. It, everybody's situation is different. Um, and I'm comfortable being really direct and obnoxious. And I don't expect everyone to be that comfortable with it. But I personally, um, 
have a, a sense of, of peace and of freedom inside of my skin that comes from not only knowing that I'm going to say something if something's like not in consent with me, but that everyone who's in my life knows that about me unequivocally and has already decided they're okay with it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, wouldn't fucking hang out with me because I'm way too annoying if you don't like that in a person. Yeah. I mean, for sure. And I think that, you know, there's, for me, there's a lot of peace in that. Now, everybody is different, but I, I do think tracking the ways in which you are dishonest to be pleasant is a really good practice for all people, but especially for people who are socialized as women or, or people who are perceived as women. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, even though my friends know me as like a, you know, unabashed grouch who like you can tell what's going on, I still feel like my self-talk is like, don't be a bitch, don't be a bitch, mm-hmm. be nice to people, be nice to people, because I'm so used to being that way out in the world, I'd be like, oh, you're such a bitch. So then, you know, there's all these situations, and this has transferred to sexual situations where I'm like, don't make them uncomfortable, they're just trying to do something nice, or like, you know, and then acquiescing to something that maybe I'm not cool with. So as an adult, at a certain point, I had to turn a corner and be like, I can't sell myself out. I'm the person who holds the keys to that. And I can't sell myself out or sell my body out for someone else's comfort. This is where I live. Yeah. This is my home. My body is my home. And, you know, you're always doing a cost benefit analysis in your mind. That's what I was thinking of when you're talking about like the social niceties of smiling while you're horrified at something. (laughs) But it's like a cost benefit analysis. You're like, am I safe in this situation to say how I feel? Mm -hmm. You know, is this person going to like punch me in the head if I say how I feel? Uh, Am I going to like lose a job because of this? Blah, blah, blah. But if if you're wondering if you're going to lose a partner because of this, you know, I have to come back to my age old thing that I, Carl Sagan quote that I love, which is, if it can be destroyed by the truth, it deserves to be destroyed yes. by the truth. Yes. And if you're a person who doesn't like anal, and if someone's going to break up with you because of that and not force you to have panel, yeah. then maybe that isn't somebody you want to spend bye, that bye. much. See you never. Yeah, yeah. maybe you don't want to spend your yeah. time with that person. Maybe it's maybe it'll hurt for a little while because of a lot of different emotional reasons that they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. But maybe you don't want to have to spend your life swatting someone away yeah. f- from your ass. So. To that end, I would say there are two kinds of pain. There's the pain of breaking and then there's the pain of healing. And the pain of healing can hurt more than the pain of breaking. Um, This is another Lindyatoism, but I... I, I really think like, for instance, the pain of being like, I'm going to break up with you because you want to stick your dick in my ass and I'm not into that. And you're really mad at me. <laughs> like if that's, if that's why you're breaking up with someone, that is the pain of healing as devastating as it can be. And it shouldn't be avoided. And the pain of breaking, the pain of choosing to be with someone who doesn't see you, who doesn't get you, who doesn't respect you, the pain of abandoning yourself for diplomacy or for being liked, um, the pain, those pains of pains of bring of breaking you down, they don't age well. Whereas the pain of healing does age well. It makes you more whole. And yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And you know, as a woman advancing in age, I really, you know, I do think a lot about the things that I've done to prevent pain in my life, um, and which one of them have been wise, and which ones of them have actually kept me in unhealthy patterns. And I think that, you know, kind of coming back to this larger theme of consent that you bring up, when you consent, when you actively consent, actively consent to something that you're not in consent with, you're choosing the pain of breaking. And sometimes that's the best choice in front of you, right? But a lot of times it isn't, and we still do it. 
And that's because on a fundamental level, we do abandon ourselves. We do struggle with that. And I think that that's, it's a good struggle to be engaged in. It's a good pain to step into the pain of being like, Oh shit, I'm really habituated in ignoring my own feelings because I want things to be nice for everyone else. And I'm going to feel the pain of it. I'm going to feel the pain of not knowing how to change it because on the other side of being in that uncertainty is a new territory that I actually want to be in. And that is hard for people, especially I think the way our society is, is we avoid pain. Pain is bad. You should medicate your pain. You should watch Netflix streaming for 12 hours or whatever it Mm -hmm. is. And there's a time and a place for all of that. And also there is a time and a place for suffering, you know, two Capricorns on a couch. But uh, I mean, there is a time and a place for suffering. Not all suffering is bad. And I think that, I mean, it all sucks, but it shouldn't all be avoided because, you know, you break a bone, they break it again before they set it. You don't want to just set it. You have to break it again. That's how it goes. I'm not actually technically sure if that's true, but I think it's true. I've never broken a bone. Let's go ahead and say it's true. Me neither. Hashtag don't tell us if it's wrong. Knock on wood. <laughs> no, we don't break bones. Couple Capricorns on a couch. Yes. Okay. Capricorn on a couch. Do you have any last words for my listeners? I think I said, throw so many words at you already. I think you had, yeah. How can people find you? Oh, on the internet. Oh. Uh, on the, have you heard of it? The internet. Yes. Uh, lovelinyato.com and my last name is spelled l-a-n and like nancy y-a-d-d like dog o-o and it's lovelinyato.com you can go on instagram at jessica lignato you can go on facebook at jessica lignato astrologer psychic medium what else am i on twitter um twitter is uh you know jessica lignato there's a lot of things out there with my very complicated last name i don't care if you say xanadu Lanadu, it's fine. You're not offending me. Slash, that's not how you say it. Slash, L A N Y A D O O. Love it. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.